Welcome to Hey Jim. It's been a while. Hey Sam. Good to see you again, mate. Happy been? I've been very well. Well, busy? actually, it's busy been, on be, the on the Doctor Cannabis circuit. Busy, very busy. Lots of speaking engagements, connecting with lots of different prescribers out there, which has been lots of fun. But also dealing with a few sick kids and all the joy. So I'm a little bit husky today. Excuse my dulcet tones. Today we're going to talk about edibles. So let let's start off with explaining to those people who may not know. Why, if you go to the US or Canada, you'll see lots of edibles on the market, whether that's gummies, cook, basically everything, beverages, you name it. Mm-hmm. What are the challenges for cannabis companies to bring an edible to market in Australia? And why haven't we seen a lot of edibles outside of an oil so far? There's lots of different groups of people out there in the, in the cannabis community worldwide who are using edibles as an oral dosing format for the delivery of, the, of their medicine. And these are, you know, often in the form of really palatable options for, for patients. And they might be cookies, they might be brownies, they might be things like gummies. And they are a, a really fantastic delivery method for a lot of people because cannabis, as, you, as you're aware, has quite a strong taste. All of the aromatic compounds with, within the cannabis plant can lead to quite a distinct flavor. And for some people, they don't mind the, the taste of, of cannabis. But for many, they much prefer it when it's must and, and combined with a range of other flavors. When looking at creating these types of delivery formats, though, they're, they're often things that are done at home in, in small batch and, and aren't really able to be taken to scale. And they may not have the same shelf life stability as what is normally needed for a lot of different pharmaceutical products. Another issue with a lot of edibles is that when they're made at home, there's not the best homogenization of the mixture and there can be variances within the dosing with, within different sort of edibles. So say there's a cake or, or a brownie, it's cut up to different slices. Some people might have a very strong piece of brownie and others might have a, a weaker piece of brownie and there's I- inconsistencies bit, bit between those. But if you can get the dosing and if you can get it into a format that has good shelf life stability, they can be a fantastic way for consuming your medicine. And they can sometimes or often lead to better bioavailability depending on what they're mixed with as well. So I think there's a lot of potential there, but there are lots of challenges the companies face in regards to bringing these things to market. And with any fixed dose formulation as well, it's hard to get the dose right for every body within the communities. If you go to America, if you go to Canada, then they, they might come in 5, 10, 20, 40 milligrams of THC, even stronger. And for the majority of people, this is a significantly overshot dose when they're looking to get functional relief and, and medical relief from their symptoms and are more geared towards a recreational setting. So it's finding those fixed dose formulations that can potentially be divided, that have an accurate dose with, with, within it and can start at low enough dose that people can titrate appropriately. So doctors have been drawn to oils, partly because they're the majority of the oral dosing formats, but also because there's the, it's a fluid, it's a liquid, and it's easy to titrate with. So people can start at microscopic doses at a sub-therapeutic range and start to incrementally increase it until they start either getting benefits or, or getting negative effects. So that's been the benefit of the oils, but the edibles could potentially be done in the right way to fix those problems that we might see with, with other edibles. So uh, let's break down a few of those points you mentioned. If you wanted to write a script, let's say there was a world beating 
cookie on the market. I don't think you can yep. prescribe a cookie, can you? Like it doesn't fall under any of the categories for which you can prescribe cannabis in terms of the product types. Is that right? Look, it's not one that I've seen in, in the TGA as a, as a category. Baked, baked goods don't seem to be in there, but there are lots of different sort of delivery formats within the TGA that are products that are currently available on the market. So it may be something that could be prescribed, but I personally have never prescribed any, any cookies or anything like that as a delivery format. Yeah, so gummies might come under, say, pastilles, for example. That's correct. And a pastille is something that is has been a recognized medical dosing option for a range of different medicines. And you commonly see that gummies are probably one of the most popular edible sort of formats or, or soft chews are very popular overseas because of their ease of use, their small size, the fact that they can be homogenized quite easily and therefore can have quite precise dosing in regards to their format. You also mentioned the, the need to manufacture these products under GMP, and that really requires you to be making things at quite large volume because to have a GMP license, there's a lot of legislation and a lot of compliance that goes with that. You can't build a GMP lab inexpensively, and if you are working with someone who has a GMP lab, then it needs to be worth their while to be allocating the space and putting in machines and, and making things. So what we are seeing, I think, Jim, is some new edibles coming onto the market that are coming through compound pharmacies. And so why are compound pharmacists able to make them? What happens at a compound pharmacy level when it comes to edibles? A compound pharmacy is set up specifically to create those bespoke formulations on a patient per patient sort of basis where they can combine different ingredients into a formula that's not otherwise available on the market to suit the needs of that person, that individual in, in front of them. And the compounding space within Australia is one that has a lot of potential to be utilized for creating really novel and new medicines for patients, can be a great hotbed for research and development in, in regards to creating new medicines as well. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of compounders out there who are repackaging finished products and calling it compounding. And, and it's not how that pharmacy group is meant to be utilizing these medicines. And they may be giving compounding a, ba a bad name within the medical cannabis space. But there is a lot of potential to create some really fantastic medicines through this space when it's done as it's meant to, which is looking at products that aren't currently available on the market using different combinations of compounds that aren't available in any other sort of format. And a good compounder can create really precise medicines uh, in a format that is palatable and easy for patients to, to utilize. So I'm, I've always been excited about the potential with compounding, but I do see that there are people doing it the wrong way. We suspect that there'll be a flood of gummies come onto the Australian market, most of which will be coming in from overseas and probably GMP washed, i.e. they're manufactured in a non-GMP lab, bought into Australia in bulk, but maybe packaged in a GMP facility and therefore deemed to be GMP compliant. Tell us a little bit about why you would prescribe a patient a gummy, and then we can talk about the perhaps the difference in a gummy that's made with an isolate and a gummy that's made well using full spectrum ability of cannabis preparations has been something that's been high on our priority list, high on my priority list for many years. And it stems from when 
my own mother was going through her, her cancer journey and she was using cannabis on a, on a daily basis to help her manage her symptoms and, and had some, had some very good results in regards to helping her with her well-being through that process. But one of the things she kept complaining on throughout that process was that she didn't, dis she really disliked the taste of cannabis and having to have the cannabis oil with its pungent sort of flavor when she's already feeling nauseous and with a reduced appetite, I would have loved to have been able to give her different options in regards to taste profiles and, and uh, around them. So the mechanism of action might be quite similar with an oil versus an edible or a gummy, but that palatability is quite different and it can really change someone's sort of experience when they're taking this medicine day in, day out and lead to much better medication compliance. But I've been, there are a few things we need to be cautious about with gummies or edibles and any fixed dose formulation. And that's that everyone has their own sort of unique optimum dosing range. And especially with THC, if you're using fixed dose formulations, it's easy to go past that optimum dose and to a point where people have taken too much THC they're feeling intoxicated, it can sometimes be quite uncomfortable and lead to some anxiety, paranoia, and other unpleasant sort of side effects. The thing that I like about gummies as a dosing format is they're generally relatively low dose compared to other edibles. And because they're a soft product, they can be divided into even small, smaller amounts. So say you get a you know, five milligram edible or a two milligram edible you can cut, cut it in half, which is very difficult to do with other fixed dose formulations like capsules and, and soft gels. So I think that provides them with a good, with a really valid reason for coming into existence with, within the market. I also was listening to one of my gurus from overseas, Kevin Spellman, who is a, a massive repository of information when it comes to all, all different plant medicines. And he was talking about CBD gummies in the States as a delivery format. And not only are they palatable and taste preferable for a lot of people to cannabis, but because of the way that they coat someone's mouth when they hold it and dissolve, it actually leads to more contact with the oral mucosa, leading potentially to better um, bioavailability and also faster onset um, of, of action. So with oils, because oil always floats on top of any sort of liquid. When you put it in your mouth and there's saliva in your mouth, the oil will actually sit on top of the saliva most of the time. And, and even though most people are told to hold oils in their mouth to try and enhance sublingual or oral mucosal absorption, I haven't seen much evidence both clinically from clinical research or within my own patients to suggest that there is that more rapid onset when they do that. But with edibles, with gummies, because of that coating in the mouth, there is more likelihood of that faster onset time and potentially better bioavailability. So I think it is a pretty exciting space. But if people are coming at it from a adult use market or a recreational market sort of standpoint, so we're importing products and they're importing gummies that are 10, 15, 20 milligrams of THC, then I think they've missed the point and they're more likely to cause negative experiences because they are easy to take and because they are desirable to take because they taste good, then it's going to be much easier for people to have accidental overdoses in regards to their sort of THC. Not that's going to cause them any physical harm, but it can be quite psychologically distressing. So we need to make sure they're very carefully thought out in regards to the, the, the mixture of cannabinoids within there 
and the starting doses of those products as well so that people can titrate with them. I suspect that they're looking at the market in the US. There are a high percentage of edible products that contain isolates and synthetics mm-hmm. because they're probably easy to make using those. What's, what is the difference when you consume a, a gummy that is an isolate or a synthetic versus, again, if you can find one that does use or is more of a full spectrum product? So always my preference is full spectrum products because there is a, a synergy with the different compounds within the cannabis plant. It's often referred to as the, the entourage effect, but really it is this herbal synergy where all of the, the different active components are often working together in this more sort of symphonic sort of way to improve the outcomes. Not saying that isolates can't have similar beneficial outcomes to full spectrum products, but the dosage required is often significantly higher. So people will need to consume more of a particular product to get the same effects. And generally, the more you use, the more likely you are to experience side effects related to these compounds, even though they're quite well-tolerated compounds. And there's a greater likelihood of medication interaction as well at those higher doses. And we're treating people with chronic disease within the medical cannabis space. Medication interactions are something that we need to be really wary of. So a full spectrum product is going to be more efficacious at lower doses, which means that it's going to have less chance of side effects, less chance of medication interactions, but it's also going to be a lot more financially viable for patients. There will be more of a a taste when you're consuming a full spectrum product because it does have those aromatic compounds, the terpenes and and other constituents within the cannabis plant, but they're for a reason and they do make it more effective. So that's my preference. But if people are highly sensitive to different compounds within cannabis outside of the main cannabinoids, then there probably is a role for isolates in certain demographics. If a product catalog comes across your desk and Mm -hmm. let's say it's for a gummy and you're looking at potentially prescribing it, How do you typically tell whether the cannabinoids are isolates, synthetics, or full spectrum? Look, the only way to really truly tell is to get a certificate of analysis of of the products or the inputs that are going into that product. You can generally tell by the taste. If it does have a a cannabis flavor to it, there is a a herbal sort of nature to it. Even if it's masked quite well by the other sort of flavors within the edible format, then it's going to be more likely to be a full spectrum product if it doesn't have any flavor whatsoever, then it's probably more likely to be an isolate type product. But you can generally get the information from the companies. What I've seen from the preliminary sort of gummies that have come onto the market as well has been that the companies producing them have been in a GMP environment, have treated it very much like a pharmaceutical medication. And it's come, it's been mass produced. They've used highly refined products because they're the easiest ones to, to formulate with. And they haven't really thought about it from a patient perspective and the, and the flavor and the experience that goes with eating that gummy. And they often taste like some of those horrible flavored sort of medicines that are out there to mask the taste of compounds for children's medicines. So I think there's a lot of potential within this space, but we definitely haven't seen anyone um, produce anything that's really exciting yet. Perhaps the biggest downside for edibles that you read about is uh, the potential for them to fall into the hands of kids. What are your thoughts on that as a risk profile and how best to negate that? I think that is an extremely legitimate concern and one of the biggest, the by far and away, the biggest deterrent for me for prescribing things like gummies to some of my patients. So I think there needs to be serious warnings that are 
put on, put in place in regards to these, you know, types of formulations, but if they're high dose THC products, which a lot of them are, then I think they're, you know, much higher risk if, if there is some accidental ingestion for the, for some children, we need to make sure that the packaging has really good uh, child safety sort of mechanisms and the people that we're prescribing these products to are responsible and, and don't leave them lying around. And it's not just for, for like children, even though that's the greatest concern, but pets, dogs, these types of things, if they see a tasty treat, they're more likely to eat it and THC can be toxic for someone's beloved uh, canine friends as well. And finally, what do you think the likelihood of people potentially abusing a gummy or something that is a tasty treat more than say inhalation or another edible format like an oil? I, I don't think there's anywhere near as much risk of abuse or inappropriate use as there is for inhalation because even though a gummy may work a bit faster than an oral oil or other edible sort of format, it's still going to have a delayed onset in comparison to the immediate relief that people get from inhaling cannabis and it's often that immediate effect and that immediate relief and the high sort of blood levels that can activate the reward pathway within within inhaled, inhaled cannabis. But still, the risk of problematic use from even those higher risk sort of consumption methods is still still acceptable and relatively low. I think there's probably more risk of overuse with something that's a palatable and convenient dosing method like a gummy compared to an oil. But I'd say rather than there being overuse, there's probably just more convenience and people are more likely to dose adequately if they're able to be stored easily, they can be carried with them. They're not something that provides any aversion because of the flavor. I think people... So better if, medication but, compliance is really what you're saying for people who I'd, are particularly maybe on a regular low dose. A hundred percent. I think there's better... Yeah, I think there is better medications compliance potentially. And the thing with products containing THC, which are the only ones you really need to worry about that could have some abuse potential, if people have too many edibles that compound on top of each other and it leads to an unpleasant experience, they're only going to do it once because it's not something that people are, are wanting to do. It can provide great long-lasting therapeutic benefit, but people generally aren't using edibles for the recreational sort of side of things. That's more where they would use higher concentration THC flour. All right, let's wrap it up there. Thank you, Sammy. Speak soon.